Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics with a paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters and everyone in between. And welcome to the TQM Tulpa Project. I'm glad you did that. I can't get down that low. I could have got lower, couldn't I? Shall I try again? <laughs> Go on. Welcome to the TQM Tulpa Project. <laughs> that is pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so this was an idea that we had while we were recording last week because we were talking about the Philip experiment. And just to remind everybody, this is where it was... I suppose it was designed to, to de- determine whether Ouija boards and seances were really calling through the spirits of dead people or whether they were something else and the conclusion was probably they were something else because it was a fictional character that they were trying to contact and they made contact and and the bit that blew my mind about that Ben when we talked about it last week it wasn't like they created a fictional character and tried to fool everyone everyone involved in the seances and the thing had helped develop this fictional character so they all knew it was fictional right yes but they still got um they still got some interaction with it and some weird stuff happening right yes that's right and so i'm not sure in the strictest terms you would call it a tulpa because people didn't actually see him right but there's loads of different thought forms but the tulpa is probably the most intriguing and the thing that would make sense from a mass experiment point of view because i think we're obviously not going to be able to get people around weekly to try and conjure a thought form out of a ouija board or a seance yeah but a tulpa is something that does seem doable if it's possible at all i say it's obviously doable yeah you all did your top <laughs> yeah, lessons at yeah. school <laughs> yeah. um but this is this is probably the closest thing we could get to it so um we've got uh we've got a, a character in mind which yeah. we will come to but i thought i would do a little bit more digging and Tell everybody a little bit more about tulpas, in case you're not familiar with them. Lovely, yeah. You can't be a tulpa story, can you? You can't. So let me start with, well, as with always, there is a scientific paper. Oh, you found a paper on I tulpas. I found a paper on tulpas. <laughs> it's amazing what you can find. Yeah, it? from August 2015, tracking the tulpa, exploring the Tibetan origins of a contemporary idea. Right. By Natasha L. Milks and Joseph P. Laycock, refreshing the easy names to pronounce. Thank goodness i like those names though. from texas state university department of philosophy and they point out and i didn't realize that it was really this time period they say since the 1970s tulpas have been a feature of western paranormal law lore hmm. in contemporary paranormal discourse a tulpa is a being that begins in the imagination but acquires a tangible reality and sentience Right. So that is very much like Philip, right? I think we could agree that is the same. Yeah, so that's that's quite a broad definition. That's not necessarily saying you have to physically see it. It has a presence, is what they're saying. Right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And and this is this is the bit which relates to our experiment. Tulpas are created either through a deliberate act of individual will or from the thoughts of numerous people. Yeah, and I I think a lot of the examples that we talked about, we've traditionally talked about and mentioned last week probably were there before the age of social media, right? And podcasts and and being able to reach an audience who could take part in a mass experiment, I would think. Yes, I think that's exactly right, yes. Yeah, I mean, um, the 70s, it's sort of, yeah, we're just talking TV, radio, print, 
basically. Yep. The word tulpa itself originated from the spiritual sprulpa, S-P-R-U-L-P-A, two words, which means uh, to let emanations go forth. And in 1929, the word was used by Alexandra David Neal to describe a practice she discovered when traveling and learning about Tibetan, Tibetan culture. In her book, Magic and Mystery in Tibet, David Neal explains that she met the Dalai Lama in 1912, and he explained in a state of perfect concentration, he could create many phantoms or tulpas of himself in any form that he chose. Mm. Now, we've heard about various monks and... Yeah. Usually spiritual people being able to bilocate or trilocate or, you know, appear in various places around the world at the same time. That well, appears to be what he's referring to. Yeah, wasn't there that um, that Catholic priest? I'm going to get his name wrong because it's off the top of my peer. Padre Pedro, Pio. Padre yeah. Pio, yeah. yeah. So he would give sermons, wouldn't he, in two places at the same time? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, allegedly. Uh, and a similar being in Jewish folklore is a golem. I love... I love that that word. Yeah. According to um, the researchers, the term golem originally meant shapeless mass. Uh, golems are creatures created from inanimate matter, such as mud or clay, and brought to life to serve their creator using a charm or sacred word. Okay. And the main difference here is that golems are actually created from something, whereas a tulpa is created purely from intention. Right, so it's it's thought form rather than organic, let's say. <laughs> That's right, although if strong enough, they will have a physical appearance. Yep, yep. And um, it, this article points out that you might have come across tulpas, but you didn't know they were called tulpas because they're in a number of TV programmes. Supernatural has an interesting take on tulpas because it involves stories that spread on the internet. So in an episode called Legends, there is postings on a popular website and because of the collective belief of its followers, a tulpa was created. So this is kind of a modern take on the tulpa effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's also um, the one that we know really well, which is Slenderman. Yeah. So if you haven't come, I'm sure you will have come across Slender Man, but a tall... <laughs> Hopefully thin, not literally. <laughs> no. A tall, thin, supernatural creature with a featureless face. He uh, originated in 2009 when a user on the Something Awful forum posted uh, a Photoshop picture depicting this creature. And from there, it spawned more photos and stories from multiple users. I mean, that's what the website is for. That's, yeah. that's, it's, a, it's a fiction thing. And eventually, there's a backstory, and then there's an urban legend. And there are those that believe that because of the persistent presence and the following of Slender Man on the internet, I think there's even been a movie, yeah. the story has created a tulpa. So it's creepy pasta that's then become real in uh, in inverted commas. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You might remember though that the Slenderman one has a pretty um, awful side story. In 2014, there were two 12 year old girls who claimed to be followers of Slenderman, oh, uh, lured a friend into the woods and stabbed her to appease him. Yeah, yeah. that is probably um, the most extreme example of a tulpa coming coming into reality. Really. Yeah. Yeah. So we're not going to go there. No, we don't want to do um, anything like that. And then we were speculating last week about what other things might be tulpas. And I found this article from Nick Redfern where he is talking very specifically about the things that he believes are tulpas. And he says, um, I quote, there is very little doubt in my mind that the black eyed kids are tulpas. 
He points out the books are written, articles, radio shows debated the issue, and then people began to see black-eyed kids more and more here and there, and he says everywhere. <laughs> right. So, um, well, it's interesting because we did mention black-eyed kids last week, didn't we? We were talking about them in that context. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he also points out that black-eyed kids have something that is um, part of like Tulpa law, in that they don't seem to be fully self-aware. It's not as if um, they sort of have multiple different conversations. They always do the same thing on continuous, bizarre loop. Mm. So, you know, the knock on the door, it's always the same-looking kids, the black hoodies, the black eyes, the can-we-come-ins. That's a bit bit stone-tapey in a way, that... Yeah, it is, but it yeah, and it, I suppose he's saying because they don't have any sentience. Yeah, um, yeah, so they're just yeah, okay. Well, they have some sentience, but they don't have. It's a bit like Philip; he doesn't know anything about the sixteen hundreds that the people in the room didn't know. Yeah, yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, he also points out that he thinks dogmen might be um, uh, like uh, black-eyed kids as well because they appear to be uh, doing the same thing again and again and um he points out they have this penchant for running across roads late at night and terrifying drivers but then when confronted the dogmen only ever make half-hearted attacks on people and then they vanish into the night so a bit like deer (laughs) (laughs) yes it is um so in the end he reckons that on top of that um shadow people men in black the hat men and the phenomenon that he calls um the space brothers so in the 1950s, people were talking about meeting, contact, contacting um, alien beings that described themselves as the Space Brothers. Right. But again, they had very, very simple, limited messages. They warn of nuclear war, right. and then they show people around their spaceships, and then they bugger off, as if there's nothing more to them. Yeah, yeah. So another Tulpa. Yeah. My favourite Tulpa story, though, and I'd forgotten where it had come from. I had to remind myself... It uh, comes from the Mothman Prophecies, John Keel's very famous book, yeah. where he talks about the haunting of New York's Greenwich Village in an old house that had been investigated many times over the years, included by a character called Hans Holzer. And the phantom that's reported has a long black cape, a wide-brim hat that has been seen move, moving from room to room. And some is, were sort of pointing out that it looked like perhaps a spy from the American Revolution who'd been caught and killed in the house. However, this house was lived in by Walter Gibson, the writer who created the Shadow novels. And the 1930s character lurked in the dark alleys, wearing a cape and a wide-brimmed hat. Mm. Before Gibson living in the house, there had been no known reported hauntings. Within 20 years after Gibson left the house, it was suddenly haunted by the hat-wearing ghost. Keel suggested that Gibson's powerful mind, constantly creating the Shadow stories and projecting the character out into the universe could have created a tulpa which became the entity haunting the house and it, um, you can correct me if i'm wrong but and maybe it's just my my thought but i some of the people that lived in the house didn't know any of the history or about the character right so they'd seen it and then found out afterwards about this backstory of this you know author artist who'd created it is that correct yeah that's correct um People didn't put two and two together until Keel started investigating, and it, it was him that pointed this out. It's fascinating that story, isn't it? I love. I mean, that 
in a way, that's almost the purest form of a tulpa, isn't it? That somebody has literally created this work of fiction with a description, a backstory, and then it 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 becomes sightings happen and stuff happens in the place where it was created. Yeah, it's, that's it, that just sums up a tulpa, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what it's about, and it's about the repetitive of the the thinking yeah as well uh, i think which yeah. is why sometimes i'm very confused why big mac doesn't appear as, as an entity in my house when i'm really hungry but <laughs> yeah. it, it hasn't done so far yeah ruin their business <laughs> ruin their business model wouldn't it <laughs> but i found i found uh, to my surprise quite a few people talking on various different communities of course including reddit about creating their own tulpas and their their various successes with it. Or oh, like mini experiments. Well, yeah, or people who just do it as a um right. A, as a case in point, there's there's one person here. My first tulpa has been missing for a while now, almost <laughs> 3 months. He disappeared when someone made him notice that he will get used to being a tulpa. I don't know what that means. I guess it was kind of an insult. Yeah. After he left, I think he was extremely upset and angry and decided some time alone would be better than talking to me. <laughs> Which, if you're going to create a tulpa, not a sulky one. Yeah, not a sulky one. I, I, maybe the, the implication there is it didn't know it was a tulpa and somebody told it. And I mean, that would be a bit of an ex- existential crisis for you, wouldn't it? It it would, actually. It really would. Yeah. You're not real. <laughs> You've just been made up by someone's imagination. That would mess with your head. I, I would have a little sulk, I think, That is quite that. cruel, actually. Yeah. Well, this person here, their stulper is called Steve. Stephen. <laughs> Me and Stephen have played the Pokemon trading game together a couple of times. It doesn't work too well, though, because <laughs> we can't do any sort of parallel p- processing or possession switching yet. Right, right. So we can always see each other's hands, and because I've played this game so many times, <laughs> I'll end up ac- accidentally giving him ideas for what to do on his turn. I also have to move my physical body around a lot because it's playing the game for two people. It's a lot of fun, though. So there you go. <laughs> Tulpas can be quite entertaining. I-, I would maybe think about playing something a bit more kind of luck-based, like Snakes and Ladders. That might be a bit more interesting. That would, that would be my advice. Games for tulpas. Yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe like we could do branded games for tulpas. That would be superb. <laughs> <laughs> One player plus tulpa. Well, <laughs> tulpa not included. <laughs> it would certainly make Christmas more interesting. Yeah, we should do that. That would be great. Well... I so I then went to to see if I could find anybody who could actually give me some top tips on how to manifest a tulpa. Right. When you you go to the the Philip experiment, that again different, but they had to wait until they decided to put themselves into seance like conditions. That's right. So my memory of that story from last week, which hopefully is fresh enough, they created this fictional character with the backstory. He was a kind of nobleman, wasn't he? We talked about it. If you want to go back and check out that story in more detail, check out last week's episode. But the summary is they created a fictional character. They decided to hold seances and see what would happen. They did it with the lights on for a year, right? Nothing happened. That's right, a whole year. 
And then they went, well, maybe we need to do this more in kind of normal seance conditions. And then it all started kicking off and they'd get answers back on the Ouija board, which corresponded to the information that they'd created. Uh, and then they got they got knocks and raps and moving tables and lights turning on and off, all kinds of activity. No manifestation, though, but they kind of got pretty close to that. Yeah, well, they got um, they got breaths, like wind. Uh, right. <laughs> well, you would after a year sitting down, wouldn't you? Um, oh, what, they felt its breath? They felt... Well, yes, I mean, I suppose they they did say that it would... It would create a wind that would move things, whether that's breath or right, right. flatulence, it's hard to say. Right. But if we're going to do this experiment, I thought I would, you know, is there any one definitive way of doing it? I don't think there is, but I did find tulpa.info. Right. It's a real... It's amazing what you find on the web. It's amazing what you find on the web. Um, and What are their... T- so, hold on, I'll, I'll do one of those intros again. Here are the top five tips for summoning a tulpa. <laughs> well, basically, the the whole thing is just about is visualizing it. But <laughs> I particularly like this paragraph. Uh, they say it's seriously as simple as visualizing your tulpa in your mind's eye. You will likely do this in your wonderland if you have one. So, kind of in your daydreams, I suppose. Yeah. Others prefer to do it in a void of sorts, so they aren't bothered having to picture the background. Visualization sessions consist entirely of your imagining your tulpa. Obviously, to be more thorough, you will like will likely want to imagine them in different poses and wearing different clothes, or none at all. I know it may feel awkward, but it will be helpful because muscle tone and body shape can be seen through clothes, and the best way to get that part of them down and consistent is to imagine them naked. Wow. I am not advocating <laughs> yeah. we do that with our character. No, no, I don't I don't think so. I'm not I'm not sure there's anything to be gained from that. And really if we're in that level of detail where we can see muscle tone, I'll be very pleased. I mean, it's not a racehorse. No. no. So we spent the last week debating what we would choose as our experiment. Yeah, because it started last week, didn't it? We we started by going, let's do something completely redu- ridiculous. Like uh, we talked about doing a ghost dinosaur. We talked about inanimate objects like My Little Ponies and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and I think at the end of last week's episode, we thought we'd go down that direction. But we've talked a little bit more since then. I guess the problem with that is it's really, you know, you have to create the backstory and everybody needs to be familiar and aware of the backstory. And that was easier in the Philip experiment because it's a small group of people, right? And they mm, kind of mm. know it. So then we started thinking about fictional characters, didn't we, that people would be familiar of. So there's less explanation needed. Something that some people out there listening to this and those of you out there who hopefully are going to help us in this project would be aware of. And also wouldn't be sinister. Yes, yes, yes. We've definitely picked a character who is a force for good, I would say. So, we thought it would be fun. Can we manifest Sherlock Holmes? It's brilliant. It's got the Arthur Conan Doyle connection. Everybody knows who he is. You know, I'm praising us here, Ben, but I think that was a good choice. (laughs) Yeah, well, if he does turn up, he won't be scary we know the backstory that is well documented we'll refresh some of the main points about that backstory yeah so that you could go away and think about it reading a sherlock holmes book is only going to help watching a sherlock holmes movie 
I personally like Hound of the Baskervilles. Will, I, love, I love Hound of the Baskervilles. Isn't it great? It's such a great story. I love the book. I love the... Uh, I don't know when it was. The black and white movie adaptation. Yeah, that's super, the one I like. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and if... Like, so, when before we sat down, because I was thinking, well, how do we know how successful we've been? And then you have come up with what I think is genius. The, the Tulpa... Uh, what, what would you say? The Tulpa Manifestation Scale? Well, that's a good name. I've gone for the TQM Tulpa Encounters Scale. Excellent. And it, it's a bit based on um, uh, Close Encounters, because you've got the third kind and then you've got the fourth kind. So there are four kinds of Tulpa Encounters on the TQM Tulpa Encounters Scale. <laughs> I'll start with number one. They ramp up. If you, you say imagine. that enough times, that's going to feel like that's been something forever, right? It right? <laughs> It'll become a tulpa. Oh, there's the irony there. The TQM tulpa encounter scale. Number one, jots. Just one of those things. So we're on the lookout for strange connections or coincidences that occur relating to Sherlock Holmes or characters within the book. So I guess I was just thinking of examples. Like next week, if somebody that didn't know about this podcast and the uh, experiment that we're doing just bought you randomly a book, a Sherlock Holmes novel, that would be really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, or a friend that you haven't seen for ages says, oh, can we meet in London? Oh, I know a really nice place in Baker Street. Yeah, or even the Sherlock Holmes pub, which which is there. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, maybe you go to a fancy dress party and the first person you meet is a Sherlock Holmes. So these are not a manifestation of Sherlock, but they're weird coincidences that you're going to experience over the next few months that somehow could connect to Sherlock Holmes. That's, that's scale one. Mm-hmm. Number two on the Tulpa encounter scale. Sightings. So... This is, again, not ghost sightings, but just weird sightings. You know, you see a man walking down the street wearing a deerstalker hat. We'll come on to deerstalker hats later because we are aware that it's not as prevalent in Sherlock Holmes as you think. But it is the stereotypical image of Sherlock Holmes, right, in a deerstalker hat. So anything to do with seeing either deerstalker hats or seeing people wearing them, slightly jotty, but it's more of a kind of direct encounter. Um or if you see somebody who's basically smoking a pipe in a deerstalker hat, that would be a right old win. So they're not ghosts. They're, they're again, they're a bit more coincidency, but they are sightings that relate. Does that make sense? 100% it makes sense, yeah. Number three on the Tulpa Encounter scale. I've called this one low-level phenomena. <laughs> or LLPs. Um, so this is... So what we're probably going to want you to do ben's going to give you more details but we want you out there listening and we're going to do the same to maybe set aside a few minutes a day to think about sherlock holmes and think about him you know to get this energy to try and create the tulpa so the low level phenomena is when you're doing that or in that mode where you're thinking about sherlock do you get strange noises such as raps and knocks um and other things, you know, other phenomena like, I don't know, you're thinking of him and you get a smell of pipe tobacco, that kind of thing. So this, I guess this is a bit like the stuff they got in the Philip experiment, right? So you could try and communicate with him. Be careful on that because obviously we don't want people communicating with the wrong thing. 
but it in some ways you think that the tulpa of sherlock holmes is trying to communicate to you yeah yeah and then the big one i guess i guess the purer definition of a tulpa will we ever get to the stage where ever, anyone has actually had a ghost sighting of sherlock holmes that's stage four he manifests he manifests exactly either in your house or when you're walking outside somewhere we'll we'll come back to this we'll remind everybody at the end maybe we should publish something on social media as well that's got the scale that the people can use that's quite good so but just to summarize and we will come back to it number one is strange coincidences jots number two are sightings of living people but who look incredibly like sherlock holmes wearing the hat all that stuff um three is low level phenomena that either when you're thinking about sherlock or trying to interact with sherlock you hear strange noises knocks smells things moving And then number four is a full apparition, a ghost sighting of Sherlock Holmes. Perfect. So maybe the thing to do then is just focus on a few key aspects of Sherlock. So um, if we take it, I've taken some descriptions from the book because obviously in television and, um, well, television mainly in film, things aren't exactly the same and it varies by actor, but I don't think that matters. But the key principles are the same. So yep. he's six foot tall. He's lean. Um, he's described as being um, a, a tall, lean figure or even an austere figure. He has a thin, eager face. He has long, thin hands. He has um, uh, thin fingers and... <laughs> Bizarrely, he's described as having thin knees. So he's kind of like got um, a bird-like bone build, which I think is quite a powerful look. But um, he's he's quite powerful. He's described as never taking exercise for exercise's sake. Yeah. Um, Up until um, the very last uh, sort of moment, the last years of his life, his hair is black. He's got heavily tufted brows. Um, and he's got this um, thin, hawk-like nose that sits in the middle of his face with these firm, taut lips. Yep. Um, his voice is somewhat high and quick and strident. That's how it's described. So um, I always think of, like, Professor Heinz Wolf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a reference for everybody. Um, <laughs> um, he is a great lover of personal cleanliness. Yeah. And he's quite prim in his dress. He, in the books, doesn't wear the deer stalker very often, if at all. He does have a tweed suit and a cloth cap, and he does wear a long grey travelling cloak. Yeah. You're right, he smokes a lot. Yeah. Um, he's described as he sometimes has um, cherry wood pipe, sometimes he has a briar root pipe, and sometimes an oily black clay pipe. Yeah. And also, I think what's interesting about that is I always think pipe tobacco smoke is a very distinct smell, so that's something to think about when you're concentrating. Mm. Yeah. I think so too. Um, he knows little of sport. He isn't very interested in it. He has an iron constitution. He doesn't, take after, doesn't look after himself very much. Um, but when he was retired, he took up um, 
swimming to counter occasional attacks of rheumatism. Um, but those those are sort violin of playing, I, or is that is that a trope? Uh, finding what? Sorry, violin playing is that a trope? Uh, no. So the violin playing, he does he does occasionally play the the fiddle in the uh, in the books. I think that was brought out much more. In, in the, the films. films, yeah, but um, but still, if you hear violin music, that could be quite interesting. Yeah, absolutely, and of course, don't forget those books are written in the style of observation. So it's um, they're supposed to be the t- the stories of Watson talking about his amazing friend Holmes. Yes, yes, Watson recounts the stories, doesn't he? Mainly in the book. That's right. Yeah. So this this sort of observation is quite helpful because it's sort of. Uh, uh, it's one man's opinion of what he looks like rather than himself describing. Yeah. And so if we can sort of perhaps if we start thinking of what this man looks like, tall, six foot tall, um, sort of wiry, strong, smoker, fast voice, very rapacious, um, doesn't suffer fools gladly. High IQ. Very high IQ. Um, he solves crimes because he knows it's the right thing to do. He isn't especially... He's not a saint, but he is a good person. Yeah. And yeah. so you shouldn't... You know, I think we should feel confident that um, if we do see a full Sherlock, it's going to be... <laughs> How ridiculous is this? <laughs> if we see a full Sherlock, he'll be good. But if we concentrate on those features, because those are what we're going to see... Yes. Also, I've got a couple of other facts. Now, oh, again, yeah. again, it depends on your definition of Sherlock. I don't think we should limit it solely to the book version of Sherlock because people might want to create something different from the movies or whatever or TV. But according to the books, and this does vary, but we believe that Sherlock Holmes was born in 1854 and died in 1891. Um, He has an older brother called Mycroft, who's seven years older than him, according to the books. Um, A couple of other facts. I think it's interesting. Um, It is known that Sherlock attended at least one of the country's leading universities. There is some debate about whether he went to Oxford or Cambridge or even both. He may have studied at both, but he studied at one of those. Um, And almost a bit tolpery in itself. Uh, He remains one of the only fictional characters to have received an honorary fellowship in the Royal Society of Chemistry. Is that right? <laughs> yes. For wow. The, for the science, the chemical science he used uh, in the hands of the Baskerville. Oh, wow. Oh, that's a great fact. Yeah. So in some ways, you know, I, I, when I read that, I thought, oh, this makes sense then with the Tulpa, because in some ways he's already transitioning into a real person in that sense if you've got an honorary doctorate from a leading you know academic organization because of your fictional work i thought that was quite interesting yeah well i think there's some people who still think that he existed i think there's some confusion about that yeah yeah but of course as you mentioned before the reason for choosing this is not just because it should be an interesting and easy topic but also because the connection with Doyle and Houdini and proving uh, or not proving depending on your view the experiment with Bess and the afterlife and 
falling out with Holmes, uh, falling out with Holmes, Doyle, all of that. So there is an intimate connection here. So if we could, there'd be like beautiful poeticism if we could get somebody to get some tulpery goodness mm. out of Sherlock. Yeah. I think Doyle would probably be proud and Houdini might be looking over from the other side going, aha. Yep, yep. And also I think, you know, it's like it's like you said, like the Philip experiment. What interests me about it is if we do get some stuff coming back, it's weird to think this is coming from a fictional character. So it makes you question what could be going on here. Are we tapping into something that we don't really understand? That's what's fascinating about it to me. I agree. I agree. It would... <clears throat> I, I agree. It would entirely be down to our collective thoughts. That's what's so exciting. Yeah. I mean, we don't have, we don't command the same audience as, like, I don't know, Coronation Street, but there's a few thousand people that listen to us. Yeah. And the Philip experiment had, you know, less than 20. So if, if 50 of you do it alongside us, if there's 50 of us in total all around the world, maybe we could get something going. Yeah, yeah, something happening. Um, and, w- and what's your thoughts of how we do this? Ben is this a daily routine is it weekly have you thought about that I think what I'm going to do is every day I mean I'm a terrible artist by the way I'm going to draw a little sketch of Sherlock Mm. and I'm going to look up my favorite clips of uh, his films and watch those and I'll start right I'll start reading a book I'll read one of the ones I haven't read before i don't know which one yet but i'll get one of those out yeah that's a good idea um i funnily enough do have to go to baker street station this week oh that's weird enough so i'll take a photo (laughs) there well there you go it starts that's a jotty and um if i if i hear it if i see or experience anything i'll uh, i'll obviously text you but anybody else if you use I reckon use the hashtag on our social feeds, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll definitely do a lot of social around it. So, yeah, I think what I will do is I like the idea of reading one of the books. Um, Talking about it today is tempting me at some point to dig out that black and white version of The Hounds of the Baskerville Mm. and watch that. Um, But I think I'll do something similar to you. I think I'll just set aside, if I can, every day... 10 or 15 minutes of thinking about Sherlock as a tulpa or, or as a real thing um, uh, and then, yeah, see what happens. I, I, I would be interesting to see if, it, if we can get a progression, you know, does it start with Jolts? Does it then kind of move up to something else? So I'm fascinated to see what happens. And just to be clear to everyone, we're not expecting this to be resolved in a week. This is going to be an ongoing project for us so what we'll do on the podcast because you think the philip experiment that took a couple of years to put through so um we're not expecting everyone to come back and go oh my god yeah it's all happened this week but what we'll do we'll just do little updates every week on the podcast if anything comes in so if you've got anything that you share with us on social media um at TQM Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, um, or you can go to the YouTube channel at The Quantum Mechanics, um, or even, you know, if, if you write stuff in the uh, episode review is another way of doing it. Just get messages to us if something slightly odd happens to you. And don't worry, we, we're not expecting all of these to be, you know, 
you know, some mad apparition and Sherlock guided you through a solved a mystery for you it could be as simple as oh my god i saw someone in a deer stalker hat and you never see that do you know what i mean it's that simple you meet a dog in the park and it's called watson yeah that it, sort of thing that kind of thing absolutely um if you want to join us on this journey just do something yourself whichever way you want to do it think about sherlock look out for these things shall i go through our, our, our scale again yeah yeah run us down yeah so just to recap so what we're looking for are kind of lower level to higher level jots, strange coincidences or connections that relate to homes, sightings. So this is sightings of, I guess, normal people, uh, nothing ghostly, but, oh, God, that person looks like Sherlock Holmes. Low level phenomena. This could be either when you're thinking about Sherlock um, or at other times. So strange noises, knocks, raps, um, if you're going to try and communicate directly with him, let us know how that went. Uh, could be smells, could be the sound of violins, could be anything like that. And then the highest level of the scale is a proper ghost sighting of Sherlock Holmes. I think, I think this could be really interesting. And I know it sounds like a couple of silly men on a podcast, <laughs> which it largely which, is. Which it is, yeah. <laughs> but the Philip experiment was... I mean, obviously, they were psychologists and scientists. We're not them. But if they can do it, we might be able to get a little bit closer. We're not going to know how it happened, but it's the closest we could get to, is it possible to experience something paranormal without it scaring you, but also prove where it came from, came from our own heads? Yeah, I think that's really, really important. The other thing on social would be good to know, even if right at the start after this episode... Um, if you can just either send us a message or click the like button and just so we know who's in, who's doing it, so we can get a rough idea, it'll be an estimation of how many people are coming with us on this journey rather than a bystander. Yeah, rather than being just a bystander, you're a participant. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. Yeah, cool. So, yes, welcome everyone to the TQM Tulpa Project. I like to think of it as the least terrifying paranormal experiment, apart from remote viewing, that um, that we could have come up with. Yeah, cool. Um, right, well, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. Like we said, this is a long-term project, so we're not expecting anything instantly. But um, um, <laughs> I was saying, do we want to end the podcast now by saying, haven't you got homes to go to? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> That is brilliant. I wish I'd thought of that. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll um, we'll see you next week. So we'll have an ep- a normal episode, but we'll just keep updating. And we'll see you next week. Elementary, everybody. Elementary. Don't think you ever said that, actually. I don't think you did, actually, no. Uh, yeah. But it doesn't matter. Have a nice week. See you later. <laughs> Manifest. Manifest. <laughs> Bye. Bye. the quantum mechanics.